Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. It's Jacqueline. I'm so excited to be back. But before we start the show, I just needed to give you a little apology. The sound quality is perfectly audible but there are some weird blips throughout that we just couldn't figure out where they came from or what to do about them so i'm sorry we know they're there we're hoping we won't have them in the future and i hope you enjoy the show nonetheless because here it is welcome to unscrewed the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman. Welcome back. Welcome to a new season of Unscrewed. I'm really happy to be back with you. I know I left on a kind of burnt out note, um, but the summer was a good rest and I missed you. And also one of you amazing listeners volunteered to edit this podcast. So Please welcome Natalia Rodriguez to the Unscrewed team who is making this podcast possible and way less burnouty for me. I'm hoping to maybe get her voice on a future episode so you'll get to meet her for real. But um, thank you for those of you who reached out and said that you would support the podcast financially. I'm still figuring out the best way to do that. I may talk a little bit more of that on a spare parts episode coming up. But suffice it to say, I'm back in the saddle and I've got an amazing new season coming at you, starting today with a podcast for everyone who is angry. Unscrewed Nation, do you feel your anger? Do you feel your rage boiling under your skin? I definitely do. And that is why I am so excited for my next guest. You've heard her before. Her most notable episode on Unscrewed is Naked Politics, which uh, I know has been a fan fave. Sarai Shamali is back here and she is here because she has a new book out called Rage Becomes Her. Uh, so we're going to be talking all about anger. There's a lot to talk about. So hi, Soraya. We should start. How are you? Hi, Jacqueline. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you. I am so excited to talk to you about this book. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Listeners, a little peek behind the curtain. Soraya and I are friends and colleagues. And so I got to read the book a few months ago in advance. So I've been thinking about it so much, even though the day that this show airs is actually your pub date. So congratulations. Thank you. And thank you so much for your feedback and for blurbing. It meant so much to me. Uh. Um, I really am eager to have this conversation with you. I'm obsessed. But of course, we have to start with the lightning round. So yes, what has been making you happy this week? First of all, I'm in D.C. and it's August and it's cool. So that definitely made me oh. happy because I am a wintertime seasonal affective disorder. Oh, my God, there's no sun person. But I'm also a I can't believe it's this insanely hot. I can't breathe or walk or move person. And 
it's perfect. It's literally the most perfect August in Washington, which is a weird effect of climate change. <laughs> I'm really glad I've been thinking of you because it's been until recently Satan's armpit in Boston it's true. this summer. And then I w- I'm like thinking about all the times that I've been in D.C. in the summer and it's so much swampier than anywhere else. It's, it's like... just life sucking. And I grew up in a tropical, hot, humid place. But you had but... ocean breezes. That's right. If there's no water nearby, it smothers everything. What's some of the best sex advice you ever received? I think it is that in order to be intimate, you really have to be able to communicate with your partner, which sounds very basic, but still I think is a problem Mm, for a lot of people. It's so hard. Who told you that? Where'd you learn it? Oh my God. I don't know. Osmosis? Yeah. I, I don't even remember. It was not a lesson I learned young. It's not something that people teach children. They just don't. If teenagers I'm are really lucky enough. I'm trying to change I know that, you are. but it's very I know. I'm hard. Trying. I'm trying with you. It's just this kind of elusive information that if you are fortunate enough to encounter a good sex ed teacher or someone like you who's openly, actively, persistently talking about these things, then you're lucky. But otherwise, you just don't get that information very often. Yeah. Okay, this question, is you will note, is in every week but is very apropos for today. What's been making you the maddest or saddest when it comes to the sexual culture lately? Well, I think the thing that makes me the saddest is the everyday overwhelming evidence of how bad it is, of how much work has to be done for people to understand the relationship between our sexual culture, our social inequity, our political clusterfuck. I mean, those things are so closely related and and the sexual mores that we see that are really quite accepting of abuse and violence and just the tolerance for those things in our institutions is just depressing. Not even tolerance. I would say that many of our institutions are built on it. Well, that's true. I agree with you because they're built on this power over and status and hierarchy and the sexual abuse is an expression of all of those things. It's just so evident. And yet there's so much resistance to thinking of it in those terms. Yeah. And that's also what's making me angry. Yes. (laughs) Those two things are the same thing. Mm, uh, What is one of the biggest sex myths that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? I think having grown up like a, a good firstborn Catholic girl, it would have to be myths around virginity. And by that, I mean the strict heterosexual version of virginity. Mm. Virginity is so important to some cultures and wielded as a cudgel. It's a, a way of policing and regulating certainly girls' sexuality. Yeah. Lastly, in the lightning round, who's somebody who's doing really great work Who's one of the bravest people doing work unscrewing the sexual culture you want to give a shout out to? Specifically recently, I think that the women who came forward about the U.S. gymnastics Mm, abuse mm -hmm. collectively and over time had to overcome so many obstacles to be heard. I believe because they are women and they are athletes that the work they're doing is incredibly brave because sports is such a hegemonically masculine environment It took so many of them to come forward. And that just shows you the problems that we're dealing with, right? I mean, hundreds, hundreds of these young women were abused by this one man and nobody believed them, not their parents, not their faith institutions. 
they just had to believe in themselves and each other, and they did. But it took years. And also it took them, I mean, on some level, they had to learn the lesson that hundreds of their voices added up to the voice of one man. Yes, which is always such a hard lesson. Yeah. And to sort of learn that and to say, okay, here we go. (laughs) Right. And that was developing simultaneously with Me Too news coming out. Mm -hmm. But by then they were already in court, which... You know, you could see all these early indicators of Me Too, which just had this tipping point moment. But in fact, they had been doing this for years and in silence, a lot like the work that Tarana Burke had been doing, right? I mean, she'd been working for decades. I mean, that's how I feel about the entirety of Me Too is like, yes, the Me Too is a media moment. Yes, that's right. We've been doing this work and we're going to keep doing it i'm sure you and i the week that we're recording which is not the week this is coming out have top of mind that fucking barry weiss op-ed which is like oh my god hand-wringing about like the fate of me too and i'm like honestly fuck me too and not in the sense of all the women who've come forward and men in the sense of like using it as a construct as this fragile moment that can be taken away if we don't play by the right rules we've been doing this work we're gonna keep doing this work I won't be held hostage to, like, threats that the media is going to stop paying attention to us if we don't play nice. The idea that suddenly women got fed up with sexual abuse in the workplace last fall is just preposterous. It's just that people started fucking listening. Right. And I think op-eds like the one you just referred to, they are the shallowest form of systems justification. The idea that there is an equivalence of any sort in abuse between men and women, to me, is actually just really destructive. That doesn't mean men are not abused, but it erases the systemic reality of dominance in institutions and the cover that it gives abusers. And of course, women are capable of abuse. Of course, they will take advantage of their power. Uh, That, to me, is a given. But that still has nothing to do with the fact that between 80 and 95 percent of the hierarchies that govern our social, political and cultural life are made up of men living in fraternal environments and benefiting from those environments. Yeah. So we're already getting into our anger. Yes. So let's talk about your book. I know when you were thinking of writing a book, you were weighing like three or four or five different options and they were all great. And I wonder why you landed on the, like the important thing to devote the next few years of your life about is thinking about women in rage. Like why this subject? Why you and why now? So there were a few things, I think. One was that every time I went over an idea, a book idea, a book proposal, and tried to hone in on what I thought was important, my anger won the day. Like I would, I would give the proposal to my agent, the wonderful Anna Spruill Latimer. Yay! I know whom you introduced me to. Thank you. And and she finally said the parts of these that strike me powerfully are clearly the parts in which you're talking about women's anger and your own anger. And I had come to the same conclusion. But what was interesting was that I was hesitant to propose that because of my own discomfort with anger. And I thought, well, people actually listen to an angry sounding or content that's focused on women's anger because there are so many prohibitions. And we were building up to the 2016 election 
And it was very clear there was so much anger in the atmosphere and that it wasn't being fairly distributed socially. That was that seemed to strike me the most with the with the presidential candidates. That's how I sort of came to this conclusion. Amazing. And then after the election, it became even more prescient. Yeah, I mean, after the election, you could just feel it bristling in the air because immediately after the election, there was just a pall. People were so sad and depressed. There were there were several weeks. I don't know if this happened to you, but any meeting I went into, any space I went into, women and mainly women, men were depressed, progressive and liberal men, but women were literally either on the verge of tears or had just cried or looked like they were about to, I mean, they were really deeply, deeply yeah. shocked and depressed. That to me, it very often is just a diversion of feelings of anger, you know? One of the things that was most shocking to me in your book was the stuff about the biological ramifications of suppressing anger. Yeah, amazing, right? And then, like, that shit made me really angry. <laughs> like, <it> just... <laughs> Well, I was laughing because at one point I'm sitting there at my desk and I typed out, can you write a book about women's anger without getting just livid? Right. Like, can you? Did you were you angry you? the whole time you wrote and that then, book? And then can you read a book about it without getting depressed and livid? Right. Because when I really did a deep dive into this topic, and that's partially why it's, the book has this name, this, this notion of rage becomes her is a play on many aspects of anger. One being that anger in women is just thought of as ugly. Like literally girls learn that being angry makes them ugly. And in our culture where being pretty is such a well, right. Uh, you have to finish the other know. part of that thought. Like, being angry makes you ugly, and being ugly is the worst thing a girl can be. And the worst thing a girl can be, right? And so there was one study that I found showed that when girls feel angry and they're in school, they reduce their caloric intake. So they'll stop, like, eating lunch. And it's almost a subconscious connecting the dots between this idea that I'm angry, I'm ugly, I have to be thinner, then I'll be prettier. And... It's or I need to control upsetting. myself. Like if I can't control my yes. emotions, I will limit I need my to body. Control. Yeah, that's right. And and then so the second play on rage becomes her is the ways in which the emotion that we have becomes material in our body. So all of these feelings, these very strong negative feelings, if they aren't given meaning, if we don't understand them and we don't do something about them, they hurt us. They contribute. They don't cause. It's not a a causation, but it's a definite uh, significant factor in many issues that women have, autoimmune illnesses, cardiovascular illnesses, you know, even catching a cold. Men and women who have explosive uh, incidents of rage, for example, which is just mismanaged emotion, are much more likely immediately after to have lowered immune uh, abilities and to then get sick. So there are all of these mind-body correlations that our medical system is really ill-suited to take into consideration because of the dualism of our culture. Hold up. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's time for some announcements. The first and most important one is I am interviewing Soraya Shamali, who you are listening to on my show right now, live in person this Thursday, the 13th at Harvard Bookstore. Uh, when we recorded this, I thought I wasn't going to be able to be in town for it, but things moved around, and I am, and we are, and so we'd love to see you there if you're local to Boston or even if you want to travel a little ways to come and talk with us. I promise it'll be new questions. Saran and I have so much to talk about at all times. As you can tell, she's brilliant. Um, so come get your rage on in person with me and Soraya this Thursday night at Harvard Bookstore. You can find the details for that and other awesome fall events I have lined up on my website, JacquelineFriedman.com. You will find out that I am also going to be interviewing live on stage the fabulous Anita Sarkeesian of Feminist Frequency for her brand new book. That's in October. Also in October, I'll be at the Boston Book Festival with trailblazing fat liberationist Leslie Kinzel. And we're going to be talking with you about telling your personal stories for political reasons. There's other stuff up there. And the other announcement is the world is on fire. And I know that what grounds me is getting to work with all of you as closely as possible. So I worked out something with my publisher and my speaking agency. And we've got an amazing deal. If you want to bring me to your campus and community this fall, I'm going to do a keynote speech like I always do, as well as a small group workshop or class visit, as well as you get 50 copies of Unscrewed to do with whatever you like in your campus or community, all for 45% off what it usually costs to just bring me to do the keynote. So get in touch. You can also find those that contact information on my website. I would love to come to wherever you are listening to this um, and do some real community-based work with you in person. Let's make it happen, Unscrewed Nation. Okay, back to the show. So you said something about mismanaged emotions. And it made me think of the, this interaction I had at my college reunion I went to like 
uh, guided meditation led by one of my old classmates. And it was really cool. It was great. I had this emotional release. I was crying by the end of it. And then at the end of it, she started talking about basically like how anger is toxic and you have to let mm-hmm. go of it. And right. it made me think also about the one note in Nanette, the Hannah you Gadsby yes. special, which is full of, I think, resplendent anger. I agree. Uh, but then she renounces it. But then she renounces anger. And I, I've i been struggling with this. I, I, I had a really productive conversation with my classmate afterwards about like how telling women that they should let go of their anger can play into the gendered suppression of anger and sort of Telling people to forgive. Yes. Just forgive it. Just forgive. Yes. But at the same time, I kind of get what she's saying, which I think is you got out with that phrase sort of like the mismanagement of emotion, right? Right. Like letting things build up into resentments that you carry around. I I think that because women especially, I mean, look, I think men also have all kinds of fucked up issues with anger too. Absolutely. Let me not let men off, off the hook here. But like if we're talking specifically in your book about women and anger, women, we don't get a lot of practice like being comfortable with our anger or or managing it in a healthy way. That's and, right. That is so the I crux of it. Do you think it comes out all kinds of ways? I, the image that you start your book with of your mom and those planes, like, is still <laughs> with me. And I think always, like, sometimes when I get really angry and I don't know what to do, I literally just picture her yes, dropping plates. Yes, like flinging I'm, these plates, right? What does a healthy relationship to our anger look like, Soraya? <laughs> So, you know, I'm not a big advocate of saying let go of your anger because honestly, who does that? You can't just flip a switch and say, I will no longer be angry. Right. Like you can convince yourself you've done it. But like I think a lot of the times you've just shoved it down. Well, and, and also it's almost as though you force yourself in that framework to disassociate from yourself and say, you know, yes, I have this anger, but that's not going to be me. I'm going to be this other thing. Oh, yeah. Right. And so one of my concerns with saying that is this quality of disassociation and disassociation isn't healthy. You want to know how you're feeling. You want to understand that your feelings are legitimate and deserving of recognition, especially in girls and women, this quality of anger, which is so often dismissed or trivialized and minimized, right? And so I think it's possible to say, I am angry. Just saying I am angry can be very difficult for some people. And that was certainly the case with me for many years, right? I mean, I was like, oh, I'm not an angry person. I don't feel angry. I'm pretty mellow, you know? And meanwhile, my <laughs> my face was like paralyzed with pain. And that I, makes me like, laugh because I think many great things about you, but I never have thought you were mellow. I know. <laughs> so, but, 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 you know, I think that some of us go out of our way to not appear to be angry. Yeah. And one of the most meaningful things I learned in researching this book was this idea of making meaning of your anger. And so, for example, research has shown that if you are feeling angry about something and you write about it and you think about what it is that's making you angry, in that sense, if you are able to analyze it and determine what you could do next, you are letting go of your anger. Because then you've externalized it in a way that is productive and allows you to make some change in the world. And so let's say you're in a job and you have a terrible, terrible boss and you are miserable every day and it's making you very angry and you can't articulate that anger because you can't get mad. You can't like yell at your boss or tell them that they're being terrible. This is your job. You have to earn a a living, right? But 
if you sit down and you say, okay, what's this, what is happening to me? I can't live like this. I, this is not healthy for me. What can you do about it? And it may be you're in a situation where you can talk to a coworker and say, hey, I need your help to advocate, or you can approach your boss, or you come to the conclusion that under no circumstance can you continue in this work and you have mm. to make a plan to go elsewhere. That is a form of letting go of anger that is incredibly healthy and productive. But that doesn't, that's not the same as saying I'm in this job, I'm stuck, I'm unhappy, but I'm just going to let go of my anger. Because that anger will always find a way. If it's not addressed, it is going to find a way. And that way may control you instead of you thinking through how to use it to affect your environment. It's also just a way of making women shut up. Yes, it is. It's like just... Just stop. Like, we don't want to hear that from you. Don't complain. Yes. The problem is with you. I mean, this actually makes me think of my book, Unscrewed, and sort of like about like individualizing problems that are actually systemic problems, right? When we say to women, especially, let go of your anger, then it becomes something you yourself have to, that's like a self-improvement project. Oh, right? for sure. Like it's this private instead of public problem that you have with yourself and not something in many, many cases that's actually external and systemic that needs to get fucking changed. Right. And, and I would say that if we're thinking about dynamics, interpersonal or professional or political, Anger and its regulation is really at the nexus of the themes of our books because, you know, if you look at sex and power, and as you have in your book, their systemic qualities and realities, then regulating women's anger as a way to stop a fight against unfairness, prejudice, bias, and justice mm -hmm. is a very powerful societal lever. So socially constructing the way anger is perceived and used is immensely powerful. And you see that at the personal level in sexual interactions, literally in people's bedrooms, and you see it at the societal level in the politics. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of the Aziz Ansari conversation where like yes. the, the whole narrative about that, the sort of backlash narrative was like, you don't get to be angry about this. This doesn't rise to a level that you're, you're justified in being angry about because it's not Harvey Weinstein. And that sort of like, oh, like there's this external regulation. And if you get angry at a time when is inconvenient or a person it's inconvenient or or somebody else doesn't think is justified, it's really about like, shut up, you're the hysterical one with the problem. Right. And I think Ugh. too, what, what was striking to me about that, that made everybody so, so profoundly uncomfortable was that it implicated the quote unquote, normal and regular behavior of many men. And the idea that a woman would be angry. Well, and that's why everyone tried to shut it down because it implicated yeah. so many men. Right. And, and it wasn't a matter of criminal behavior. I mean, how low a bar is, well, he didn't rape her. I do you mean, know, it's legal to do all kinds of shit. Like, I know. it's legal in many states to, like, rape somebody if you if the sex started out as consensual and then somebody says no. Oh, it's yeah. I think North Carolina yeah. just doubled down on that, right, last year, where they basically said, <laughs> I don't remember the exact wording, but essentially it was once the sex has begun. Yes, exactly. 
Yes, that's right. And I should say, and actually, I'm saying that in a non-gendered way, but it's actually written gender, right? It's, it it's is. legal it is to keep gender. raping a woman if she consented to the penetration to begin with. So if that's you right. start penetrating a woman and then she says stop, you can rape the crap out of her and it's totally legal. And that's not just in North Carolina. It's in a lot of states. So oh, like, yeah. And you saying that's right. like uh, something's perfectly legal as a moral defense is like the most bankrupt idea but it's such a persistent one, right? Because that idea of the, the, and really it's a deep, deeply traditional idea of women as property in marriage, because those laws were all kind of structured around the idea that a wife had to provide sex and that it was a man's right to get that transactional quality of sex. And you see it in the ugliest possible ways. I mean, a couple of years ago, I'm pretty sure it was Occidental, where there was a campus rape case and the security officer told the young woman that it didn't count because the man hadn't reached orgasm. Oh, my God. I think I missed oh, that yeah. one. Or no, that it. was you can look it up. And so you see these very long held beliefs about sex that we don't talk about in terms of power all the time. Yeah. Well, and and anger is power, too. Right. Like the anger regulation is power, too. For sure. Of marginalized groups. And I'm thinking, I want to talk specifically about race, too, because yes, um, I think that whatever we're saying about women goes, like, double and triple for women of color. And right. I'm even thinking about, like, the Obama presidency and how regulated his anger had to be. And he had to have a fucking anger translator, right? Like, Yes, that's right. And Michelle Obama was categorized basically as, of course, that angry black woman and that was then used as a way to emasculate the president, right? Like, oh, she became the kind of focus for right. his anger and also for the idea that she had this kind of strength that he didn't. It was, very, you know, it's such a distorting stereotype. Well, I think it literally hobbled his power as a president that he didn't for feel sure. fully free to express or to even risk appearing angry. Right. The constraining of anger is always political and it's always about reducing po the power in the people being constrained, which is literally why your book is so important. Thank you. And I think, too, like going through, like I tried to speak to lots of people about their own experience. And as those experiences yes. related to stereotypes about ethnicity and gender, we see these stereotypes in the media, right? Like the idea that it's kind of a play on the magical Negro, but that an, an angry black woman is going to save us, Right. And it was Feminista Jones who wrote very early on that that's a kind of mammification of black women politicians. Don't do it. Like, don't put women in this position and expect black women to come to your rescue because whether they are angry or not, we're going to attribute that quality to them and expect them to save us all at great personal cost, right? And then if you see sort of in Asian uh, women and women of Asian descent in the United States, they experience publicly and, and professionally this expectation that they will be sad and passive, but not angry, right? Like, that's just not a quality that people put in those stereotypes about Asian women. And there tend to be a lot of Asian American women in Silicon Valley, and they get it, you know, doubly and triply. I've spoken to women there who not only are fighting against gender bias, but also this added ethnic bias that as Asian American women, they're just going to be quiet and sort of servile. And I think it's notable in Silicon Valley that, you know, Ellen Pack was the first woman to come forward with this major right. suit 
But then what's called the Unpow effect is that almost every other class action suit against Facebook, against Twitter, for example, were single or pairs or, or women who are Asian American. Interesting. Because they're really having this intense experience. And part of that experience is this idea that they cannot and should not be angry. What do you do with your anger? I think what I did with my anger years ago, without even realizing it, was I started writing. Yeah. I really sublimated that anger into this creative process writing. And it wasn't conscious for me. It was just, for me personally, a very productive outlet. So I inflicted my anger on the rest of the world. Excellent. (laughs) I'm like, I don't understand why other people are not saying they're angry about these things because these problems that we're encountering are enraging. So what are we going to do about them, right? And so, And anger is a sign that something external is amiss most of the time. It's a vital signal to us. And we teach girls, we literally teach girls to ignore the signal. Did writing this book change your relationship to your anger at all? Because it definitely, reading it changed my relationship with my anger. Like, I feel so much more, I mean, I was not a wilting violet before I read yes. your books. No, I, I felt never like have categorized so... Every chapter I read, I felt more full of power. I felt like all the little dams I built up inside me, I was just undamming and being like, fuck all of this. I'm going to feel my full power. And in order to feel my full power, I have to feel my full anger. Well, it really yeah. made me feel unleashed in a certain way. Well, I'm glad to hear How did that. it work on you? Yeah. To be honest, I wrote this book, as you know, a sort of very intense period of uh, life yes. and in a very short period of life. And I think that I had spent several years grappling personally with what you're talking about. Like, how am I supposed to live with these very, very powerful feelings and do something good in the world, right? Like, this can go one of two ways, because anger can destroy your life, or it can enrich your life. And I think that's one of the points of this book. We learn that anger is this terrible, destructive, negative force. and And I do not believe that. I think that the misunderstanding of anger, the denial of anger, the shaming of anger is the is the negative. It is a human emotion. It's not inherently good or bad. It is what it is. It helps us survive. But I just think that we need a language around the emotion instead of the vacuum that exists. And, you know, if we could teach children, boys and girls how to think about their feelings in general, how to talk about what they want as, as it relates to those feelings, we would live in a better world. I mean, the problem we have right now, and this actually, the degree to which this was true did shock me when I did this research. It's still the fact that adults and parents, so teachers, coaches, name your adult who influences children, their biases lead them to virtually not talk to boys about any feelings except anger. They might touch on love or, you know, they might say something about kindness. Whereas with girls, parents and adults will talk about virtually all other feelings and emotionality in general, but they will ignore anger. They will put anger aside. They'll focus on sadness, which is an interesting distinction that's very gendered, but they won't talk about anger. And so that sense that anger is masculine and masculinized is already established by the time people are four or five. But they're not teaching boys to how to properly no. Ex- like no, they're not. express they're their not. anger without hurting 
people who aren't causing yeah, it, and right? Themselves. Like how That's to like right. identify the actual causes of their anger and how to regulate and express their anger also. I think part of the reason that anger feels scary for women, I mean, a lot of it is all of the policing, but also for me, sometimes I identify that men's anger as a problem, right? Like as violent and yes. terrifying. And like, I don't want to be like that. And so but that again is a misunderstanding, yeah. right? Like, because part of the issue for boys is because they aren't allowed to express the full range of emotions that they have. They don't have another outlet. So anger is never felt in isolation. Anger is related to other feelings like shame. It's related to love because most often we tend to be angry at people we love, like the people mm. that we're intimate with, right? And so if you can't express love, if you can't talk about vulnerability, if you can't act in empathetic ways, then this anger becomes boxed in. And so you end up being an adult man that has two outlets, anger and shutting down other emotion. And so it's not only that the anger gets channeled into aggression and violence, but also suicide, right? It's that they're not sufficient emotional outlets that are healthy for men. And so we end up with this dichotomy, which is destructive in either case. Yep. <laughs> and that's where we get to. I mean, you have always so clearly articulated the harms of toxic masculinity. And so much of that harm comes from this equation of emotionality in general being attributed to women and then used against women to shut them down. You can't possibly be right because you're too emotional. You can't think straight. You're illogical, right? Yeah. Like, and, uh, unlike our president, for example. Oh, my God. Very even keeled. You, it's really surreal right now to watch what's going on and think about these stereotypes about gender and, and reason. <sighs> well, I couldn't be more grateful that this book is coming out at this oh, moment. Thank you. Thank it's, you. I, I really feel like it's going to change the world. It definitely changed me. And I, I hope everybody in Unscrewed Nation, if you can, goes out and reads it. It's called Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger. It's a total must read. And Soraya, I'm just like so grateful for your work and proud oh, of you. Thank and you. Happy for well, you, you know. and all of that stuff. Well, you've always been, as you know, so inspirational for me. So I'm just delighted to be talking to you about all of Yay. these things. So thank you for having me on. Yeah. Tell everybody, I know you're on book tour. Where can they find oh, you yes. in person and online? What's going on? So I always tweet uh, my appearances uh, on my Twitter handle, which is at S-C-H-E-M-A-L-Y and in Facebook under my name. And there's a ragebecomesher.com website that has tour dates. And I'm so excited. I would love to talk to people and meet them. I'll be sort of all over the East Coast in September and early October, and then out in LA, San Francisco, and Seattle, and hopefully uh, in between along the way. Uh, but I'm really excited to hear what people have to have to say about the topic. Oh, I'm really excited for you to have like anger revivals. <laughs> It'll be it'll be interesting to see. I'm waiting for people to say, this is terrible. She's putting anger out into the world. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm, I'm just shedding light on the anger that exists. Yeah, but nobody is saying that. I mean, you've been getting amazing advance notices from all of the book review places. I have. I've been so grateful. I'm so relieved. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, I mean, but look, yeah. someone will say that because people oh, are it's assholes. Be terrible. And then you'll be angry. <laughs> That's right. I know. That's right. It'll just be a virtual circle. It's good. You know. <laughs> Exactly. It's very funny. 
<laughs> and folks can find me at Jacqueline F on Twitter, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. You can find me at Jacqueline Fable on Instagram. You can find me on my website, which is JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Or you can find all of my upcoming dates and info about how to bring me to your community and writing I've done and back episodes of the podcast, all of that good stuff. You can find this podcast everywhere that podcasts are available, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, all of that good stuff. Um, while you're in there, make sure you're subscribed. We have a great season plan for you. You don't want to miss any of it. And also, you know what I'm going to say, give us five stars, give us a review. Also, if I may say, if you read Soraya's book, give it five stars and a review on Amazon. Even if you didn't buy it on Amazon, it makes so much of a difference uh, in terms of Amazon search results, that people finding the book. So like if you show Soraya some love too. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Amazon reviews, as much as I had like fucking hate Amazon, really make a fucking difference. Um, yeah. You can do that to my book too if you love me. Uh <laughs> yeah, so we should go on a sex power anger tour. That's what we should do. Can we go that on a be sex fun. power anger tour? Sex power anger tour. <laughs> and we have to get the cocktail. I'm still I'm driven to oh get the sex God. power anger cocktail. Oh, I'm definitely calling my friend Brianna, who is a, m- a mix master, and she. Can w- we do that seriously? Let's because I've been thinking a lot about do it. Do that. Sex Power Anger 2019, you guys. You hear, heard yeah. it here first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this right. podcast is produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman, and edited by Natalia Rodriguez. Yay! Welcome, Natalia. Welcome, um, Natalia. <laughs> um, the In and Out music is by the Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 